pass those buckets. Praise the Lord, after the buckets go by, you can open your Bibles to uh, Romans, the ninth chapter. On Sunday night, we've been going through Romans. Praise the Lord. We're so thankful for all that God is doing and will continue to do. If you were, were here this morning or if you weren't here, it'd be great to, to go online, uh, listen to this morning's uh, service and message. It was more than just the message, the service. Things came out. God did things uh, in the hearts and lives of people, really, if you were here last Sunday night. Great anointing here, the Brazis here. But God is doing something right now. And, you know, we sing about things, you know, even when we don't see it. But sometimes when we don't see it, we act like nothing's going on because we haven't seen it. But God's always doing something. You know, if we have faith in God, sometimes people don't see it and they're just ready to give up. You ask them what God said. Well, they said God would said, yeah, well, do you believe God? Well, sure, I believe God, but I'm going to quit. Well, why are you going to do that? You're going to quit. You're going to miss your harvest. If God said it, he'll do it. If he promised it, he'll perform it. And sometimes we just, we get to looking at things and we just utterly abandon faith in God. You know, we can say what God said. We can say, woo, if somebody else would be a part of that or if somebody else would do something, man, I could have that. But you know what? If you believe God's moving, um, he'll do what he said. And he said, we look through history. We look through the Bible and we begin to see that people got impatient. But God was never impatient, Right? God always knew and was always working the best. He knew the beginning from the end, and he knew that if, if things happened before people were actually ready, it would never be sustainable. If it had happened before people were ready, people would fall into their own way of, of thinking that it should be. And so he was dealing, you know, with, with Abraham and Sarah, how they thought it should be and how they could get involved, and, and there was mistakes made. All the way through, when people jumped the gun just a little bit, God had to come on the scene and say, well, you know, you're believing what I would do, but you, you decided that you'd do it instead of just wait on me, and then we could have done it together and seen exactly what I said. Amen? And so it just comes about like that. So just encourage you. Uh, you know, there's things going on all over the world, but God's doing something right here. He said things about uh, a new creation church, about you, about this place that he plans on bringing to pass, and we're stepping over the threshold into it uh, more and more every day. But, uh, you know, the Word and the Spirit agree. Sometimes, you know, the Spirit starts to move. We just want the Spirit, you know. We want a bunch of activity going on. But the Spirit does not move without substantiating or bringing to revelation the Word. Because He is the Spirit of truth, or you could say it like this. He's the Spirit of the truth. And so sometimes we get emotional, we get a lot of things that think the Spirit is moving, but in the end, we look and say, you know what, I've gone away that's not actually in the truth of God's Word, so we got to come back into it. So he, the Word and the Spirit, they always get together and work on our hearts, our lives, our minds, and our thinking, amen, and once we really grab a hold of the truth, we're not going to be deceived, we're not going to be pulled off by something else. God really begins to do something greater than we ever imagined. Right? God has a plan. We talked about that this morning. You know, when we actually embrace the love of God, so the Spirit of God can cause us to comprehend how much God loves us, the depth and the breadth and the height and the length of it, the love that just goes beyond human knowledge and human emotion. It, it begins to go to experiential knowledge that we've really experienced, as John said, and beheld the love of God, that, that true love that when we were separated, we were strangers, we were foreigners, sin had broken the, the, the relationship with God. God himself was not happy about that broken relationship. We didn't know him. We didn't care if we knew him. We didn't even know the difference 
consequence of not knowing him, except for there was a longing in our heart. Something wasn't satisfied. We were looking for things to satisfy what God could only satisfy. And because of his great love, and in order to satisfy how much he loved us, he sent Jesus. Not only just to, to, to bring us back to zero, you know, where we're walking the earth and we don't feel bad about our past, but he brought us past that to be sons and daughters of God, to have his very DNA, his very life, to be formed in the very nature of God, that we would have an old man that we would set off and put aside and a brand new man would emerge, that we could walk in a newness of life. And the enemy always tries to steal that from us by looking backwards or looking at what somebody else should do. But it's at God who is at work on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit at, at work on the inside of each and every one of us to will and to do of God's good pleasure. So he's working on the inside of me, but there seems like so much restriction. Listen, God knows what he's doing. He knows what he started. And he is faithful. We might not be good finishers, but God's a good finisher. Paul said, whatever he started, the day that he came into your life, whatever he began, he'll be faithful to complete it. No matter how long it takes, he said, until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep working until that day. He said, you can, you can uh, think that you're just going to give up, throw your hands up, but he's not going to stop working in you. If you decide to stop, it'll just irritate you. Right, because there's something keeps going on in the inside of me. I told God I give up. I told God I quit, and God just wouldn't quit. He'll just keep going. He'll just keep working, right? And so we sing it, you know, even when uh, we don't see him working, we know it's working. Even when we don't know, uh, you know, he's still working. We sing it, but then when we walk out of here on Monday, you ought to just keep singing it. Instead of looking and going, is anything even happening well, sure, something's happening. Well, I don't see nothing happening. Well, you just sang when you didn't see it. He's still working. How easily we forget. But that's why he said we need to remember the Lord our God. We need to keep him in the forefront of our thinking every single day in every single way. All right, praise the Lord. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 9. Many uh, people, I started reading this uh, Pastor Jonathan, a couple weeks ago, he says, I can't wait to get to Romans chapter 9. I've been waiting for that. I want to see how you handle Romans chapter 9. And so <laughs> I said, wow. And then you start reading after uh, people, and they say, uh, there's different theologians that say, we wish that Paul would not have written Romans chapter 9. I started reading after some people, and it just says, you know, this, this particular theologian said, I wish Paul would not have written Romans chapter 9. As he was on a good roll, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? We are, we are no longer under the uh, spirit of the law, the law of uh, sin and death, but the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, right? And peace and all these things, all things work together for good. And nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he comes to Romans chapter 9. But really, he's saying something that will help us. I'll try to encapsulate it in this uh, again uh, because it's difficult for theologians. I mean, if you know me, if it's difficult for theologians, it's really going to be difficult for me. We're really trusting in just a little bit of grace uh, to, to help us get through Romans chapter 9. But uh, uh, really, a, a part of this that we can glean from it or we can take away from it is to be careful of spiritual pride. Be careful of spiritual pride. 
All right, so let's just jump in here. He says, uh, verse one, he says, I tell you the truth in Christ Jesus, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. What's he saying? He just came out of nothing could separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul has just experienced and expressed his experience of the depth of the love of God, the power of the love of God in any situation. And then he begins to think and understand that uh, uh, really the people of God, not not all Jews, but the people of God uh, rejected Jesus Christ and it broke his heart. I mean, really, it broke his heart. Paul was so humbled at the love of God that he began to look at his countrymen, and he knew, he knew better than than we do, even better than the Gentile Romans knew, that what God had done for the nation of Israel, and still they did not accept Jesus. So he goes on here, he says why he's, he's, uh, um, why he's, uh, you know, brokenhearted, why he's in such sorrow. He says, who are Israelites, uh, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed of God. Amen. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, my heart grieves, and and my heart is broken, because my countrymen, the people of God, the people that God chose as his family, as a covenant family of God, the people who had seen the glory of God, the Shekinah of God had entered the temple, the Shekinah, the glory, the presence of God had come in from time to time uh, as it's recorded. And even the priests could not stand in the temple to minister because the glory was so heavy. They had seen the glory of God. Come on, they were the ones who had his covenant. They were the ones who had the covenant of God. They had the, the, the covenant that God made. Uh, certainly, uh, we believe not every th- theologian comes to this covenant. I believe that he made a covenant with Adam. You say, why do you believe that? Well, he sinned and, and, and fell short, but then God, uh, instead of the, the fig leaves that he clothed himself with, you know, man will always cover himself inadequately, Right? They went and they said, let's sow some leaves together. And God's like, where'd y'all go? Finally, he calls them out and they come out and he's like, myself. What are you wearing? And they said, well, we heard you in the garden. We thought we should cover himself. He said, who told you to do that? Right. So later on, we find out that he said, you know, he, he made the plan of redemption to send Jesus. And then he slayed an animal, and he clothed them with the hides of animals. What did he do? I believe if you understand covenant, God went and slayed an animal. Innocent blood was shed, right? And that blood, that atonement, was always a sign of covering of their sin. And so they wore those hides knowing that their sin cost innocent blood. Of course, we then go, and we know that Cain and Abel were to bring a sacrifice of blood, 
blood always significant of covenant. Cain said, well, listen, I don't really want to bring a blood offering. You should accept what I labor for. My brother Abel, he tends to the sheep. He gets to take what he labors for and give it to you. You should take grain from me. And God said, why are you so upset? You know what's right to do. In other words, he tells us right there. He knew what was right, but he wanted his way, not God's way. It wasn't like God just said, uh, you know, I, I, I don't accept that. No, they knew there was a right way, and it was blood. But he said, I don't want, it. I don't want to bring the proper sacrifice. I want you to accept my offering. God said, it'll never be that way because you can't get my blessing your way. You can never get the blessing of God through the arm of the flesh. Right? You can never get the blessing of God through the arm of the flesh. You have to get it through covenant. So anyway, so there, there was, we believe that, you know, not all theologians do, but we believe that there was a covenant with Abraham. There was a covenant with Noah. We know that God put the rainbow in the sky. Every time it rains and you look up there and go, whoo, man, ain't that something? There's a double dip. Double rainbow. Everybody's taking pictures. See that double rainbow. Every time you see that, that's a sign of covenant. It might have flooded the river or the valley, but God will never flood the whole earth again. Why can we be guaranteed of that? Because he put his rainbow in the sky. He made a covenant. Then he came, you know, in Genesis 15, he made a covenant with Abraham. He said, out of all your descendants, I will bless the entire earth. And he cut a covenant. He put him to sleep. He split an animal right down the middle. He walked in the way of that blood. He swore by, there was no one greater to swear by. He swore by himself that all, that his heirs would be the heir of promise, that the promise one, the Messiah, would come through him, right? And so then we see, you know, that was reinstituted in the law and the covenant that he had with Moses. And then, of course, fulfilled through them the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ. And so here Paul's just saying, man, all the covenants leading to uh, Jesus Christ was given to them. They had the law. They had the law. In other words, they were without excuse. God said they'd be without excuse. They had the law. They knew everything that God expected of them. They couldn't plead ignorance. I don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what God expects from me. No, they had the law. And Paul knew that they had the law. Uh, they had worship in the temple. Right? He's, just, he's going through this list. He's saying, I grieve so much because the people of God, they had everything they needed. They were the people of God. They had worship in the temple. That worship in the temple was significant in the fact that they could approach God. Even if it was through the high priest, there was the temple and the, the worship, the, the sacrifice that went on that said because of those sacrifices, because of the blood, because of the high priest, and I, have, I, I came to live in the Holy of Holies, man through covenant could approach me. They had that worship in the temple the people of God his countrymen the Israelites right they also had the promises of God every single promise of God so they knew what their destiny was God made promises of them they knew their ancestry that what God had promised Abraham Isaac and Jacob still came down to them and really uh, it came down really to the point what he said he said through them Jesus Christ came he said everything that they had that God pointed to Jesus and Jesus came and they still rejected him. He said, because of all that, I'm broken hearted. He said, I can't tell you how broken hearted I am. Knowing what they know, yet they came to that place of rejecting him. He said, but it is, it is not 
that the word of God has not taken effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of, is, of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. For the children not being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. We get in here and we're like, hmm. So I believe Paul is just, again, he's explaining because of this, there's Gentiles in the church at Rome, and then there's Jews. And when he says that the children of Israel, he was brokenhearted, not every Jew refused Jesus. I mean, right here in the time that Paul is, really the church started with Jewish believers. But I believe even in Rome, there's something going on here that the Jews are trying to figure out. Well, wait a minute. We have the promise. We believed in Jesus. But what about all these Gentiles? And there's, there's something going on in their thinking between that. So Paul backs up just a little bit. He starts to talk about what's grieving in his heart. But then he starts to talk on a level that the Jewish people will begin to understand. And that is God has his own election and selection for a divine purpose. Right? For a divine purpose. So he goes on to tell him, he says, you all understand this, that not every person that came from Abraham is a son of promise. And they understood this because the Arabs that came from Ishmael, not a Jew would say, oh yeah, they're heirs of promise. And not the Edomites that came from Esau, the Jews weren't saying, oh yeah, the Edomites are, are children of promise. No, they understood. No, we are the children of promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if we're in that lineage, then we are the ones of the blessing and of the promise. I believe he was getting at something. I'll get ahead of myself for just a moment. I believe he was getting to something because they were saying, wait a minute, this is for us and not for the Gentiles. But Paul is working and saying, I'm sorry that you all missed it, but understand God was always working something greater. And whether we understood it or not, God had an election and a selection that you understand in part. That even though mistakes were made and understanding of what was going on, God said, I'm going to make a way. Right? It can't be Ishmael, even though he was a descendant of Abraham, because that wasn't my way I chose Isaac. I brought Isaac. And then he already declared that the younger would serve, or the older would serve the younger. And certainly he came out holding, I mean, they were fighting just to get out of the womb. And all that time, Jacob and, and certainly his mother had that prophecy. You say, why would that happen? Well, I can't really get into to the knowledge of God. We'll find out when we get there. But God, knowing the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning... He knew there was a heart in Jacob. Although Jacob deceived to get that promise, he was so after the promise of God. He was so after the inheritance. He was so after the heritage. And yet something in Esau caused him to give it up for a bowl of porridge. 
for a bowl of porridge. And so God is making a selection and moving that direction, which really begins to point to the discrepancy that begins to be seen. That from the beginning and the end, we can look and say, why is this happening or why does that happen? And know that God is always working according to his word. He's moving within the parameters of his word and his righteousness and his truth. But he will have what he promised. Right? He will have what he he promised. And so uh, he's moving in that way. And so in verse 14, he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? He says, certainly not. He's saying, we get into human reasoning. Well, then why didn't God accept Ishmael? Well, then why did he already beforehand say that Jacob would be the heir and not Esau? If he planned that, that doesn't seem right to us. And he said, listen, God's not unrighteous. Don't even figure that. He says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And there's some of this that he's going to get to. Uh, I'll get ahead of myself, but we'll just keep looking. Verse 17. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, And whom he wills, he hardens. Whom he wills, he hardens. So we start looking at that. And uh, uh, in fact, I'll just go into 19. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted the will of God? In other words, even back then, they were saying, well, what's the use then? If God has this all planned out and God's going to do this and God's going to do that, why, why if we have no choice in this selection, is God holding people accountable? And Paul will go on to say that, but he, he, he was really discussing that you guys think, you all think it should be right, but God knows exactly what he's doing. And he's getting to the point because without this, if they establish that really they can determine who God should select and who he wouldn't select, then most of us would not be in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right, when we begin to look at the book of Romans, he's trying to tell the Jewish Christians, the Christians who have come in, what's going on around them and the, the defilement that's going on and how the world around them, even though they claim to know God, they've lowered their thinking. They've allowed uh, unnatural uh, desires and homosexuality and those things to come into their life, and they think that they're so smart. And he said the wisdom of God has really come to nothing, thinking themselves wise. They've come to nothing. I've get, had to give them over to a debased, a lower way of thinking and so he's always describing what is going on and and explaining what's going on so he's he's saying listen God has some things he told him in Deuteronomy he says there's some secret things that only I know the reason that I know them and the reason that I'm moving through them is because if you knew them they would probably get messed up but I have an eternal plan that I'm working in but he said I'm going to reveal things to you And that's what you need to put your trust in. You need to take the revelation of what I say 
and carry out that revelation because there are some things because I'm sovereign. So we take that and say, well, God's sovereign. He just does whatever he wants to do with whatever he wants to do. And they were in that same boat. And Paul said, no, God's not just doing unrighteously whatever he wants to do. God can't do really, uh, you know, stay with me before you shut me off. He can't do just whatever he wants to do. He's held by his word. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent, right? He can't go outside of his word, outside of his righteousness, outside of who he is just to do whatever. He always stays in those parameters. So when we think, well, that's not in my thinking, I don't, I don't think that's fair in my thinking, we'll find out someday it was absolutely fair. At the same time, we always want to, in the basis of this saying, that's not really fair just or that's not justice but you can't really look at what God is doing and try to figure out justice why because if we all received justice we would go to hell but instead of justice we received mercy and so he's talking about the Jews who, are so, who have been so entrenched in the law, right, that they're looking for where justice lines up. But Paul keeps coming back to the love of God and God's will and God's mercy that God was always working in a merciful way to bring things to pass. And so in the things that he, he talks about and the things that he says, you know, I will, there, are, there are times where I will show my power. Now, again, there's two thoughts, two, two uh, maybe theological uh, perspectives. But, you know, when God came to Pharaoh, when he, when he came to Pharaoh, he said, I want to show my mighty power. Pharaoh could have yielded to that power, right? He could have said, okay, God's God. Things started to happen. He could have even stopped after the plagues and said, my God, he's God. But see, because of Pharaoh's heart of pride, the more God did, the more it hardened his heart. So God says, well, I'm just, I can show myself as God to somebody who resists me, and it will harden his heart. Say, so, well, I believe it says right here, he created him that way. Well, uh, you could say he created him that way. It says he came to show his power through him. Well, if he created him that way, then we're like, well, see, that's just not fair. Why would he create somebody that would harden their heart towards God? Well, I don't know that, neither do you. So, well, I don't want to serve a God like that. Well, don't just get stuck on stupid. <laughs> right? Just take one thing that you read. Well, if God would harden Pharaoh's heart, well, what was happening? He was showing his power through someone that was hardened to bring about his plan for your salvation. You get stuck on one thing and say, well, I don't think that's fair. I don't want to serve a God that's fair. Well, you don't know exactly what's fair, but God was ever working to make a way for you to be saved. All right, we'll just keep reading. Let me see, where am I at? Verse 15. For he says to Moses, I'll show mercy on whom I'll have mercy, compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says uh, to this, uh, I, I show them my purpose. Sorry, in verse 19, he says, You will say to me, then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, 
Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. He's just saying, now what if, what if you would just think, well, this is the, 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 the pot for wrath. This is the pot for mercy. He said, if you thought this is what I'm for, you could get it all wrong. But what if God just understood exactly what he was doing? If you are of his creation, who are you to question him? Now, again, people will just go, well, there you go. Well, God has never treated us like a lump of clay. Again, you have to, Paul is really being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's moving. He's got great sorrow for his countrymen. He knows the questions that they're asking. And, and really, he's saying it's unproductive for us to begin to say, why did you make this this way and why did you make that that way? Because God just said, I, will, I know what I'm doing. And it's up to me, God, to show mercy where I'll show mercy. It's up to me to show wrath where I'll show wrath. Because without my wrath, sin would run rampant. Without my disapproval of sin, it would run rampant and corrupt the whole human race. And my goal is to bring the whole of the human race into forgiveness and into fellowship with me. Well, I wouldn't do it the way God's doing it. I would form my pots just a little bit different. That's why you're not the potter. That's why I'm not the potter, because <laughs> God has it, right? He's just trying to explain, as brokenhearted as he is, explain to the, uh, I believe, the Jewish believers and the Gentiles why they don't understand, well, we were the people of promise, and you all Gentiles weren't even supposed to get in. And he's like, without both, God has, from the beginning of time, prophesied that it would be for all races, all people. But he began working through a covenant with Abraham to bring forth a selection of people and have to move in that to certain selection to bring about Jesus. And now in Jesus, God has done great things. But looking back and say, well, when, then why did this happen? And why did that happen? And why did this happen this way? He said, why are you questioning God? In our society today, we're not just talking about just being blind. He gave us his word. But there are certain things that we want to dig into and say, I want to know this. And God says, you'll never know it. You're spending a lot of time trying to know something that is my secret that you'll never know. But I've revealed plenty to you. You know, somebody said one time, you know, when I was, uh, I think it was in Bible school, if we just lived in the light of what we knew, we'd be so blessed. But we want to jump over what we know and find out something else. Well, I got revelation of that, but that's a little hard for me to do. Could I find out something else? I said, if we, just, if we could just live in the light of what we know, man, we'd be incredibly blessed instead of just trying to get into the things that God knows. Question why God made and did things a way that he did instead of trusting that he knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And this is really the discussion is not as much about uh, did he make Pharaoh this way? As it is, God showing mercy to get grace to all people. 
Amen. Are you all still with me? So he goes on to say this, verse 24, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So now he's getting into that. What if God, by reason of his own thinking, said, I'm going to be merciful on the, the vessel that we thought wrath was going to go on, and I'm going to be long-suffering where wrath needed to, to, to be executed because I'm bringing about something that's even greater than you imagined, greater than you understood. And so he's, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Whoo! Praise the Lord. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. He goes on to say, Isaiah also cries out. So he's talking about those who knew the scriptures, the Old Testament. He knew how God was talking to Israel about things to come. And so he says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have become like Gomorrah. He said, listen, God did some things. Otherwise, he's even talking to the children of Israel. We would, if God wouldn't have cut it short, we would have destroyed ourselves. But God came in planning to make a people where there was not a people. And so he, he, if it wouldn't have been for his mercy... Things would have been cut short, and it would have, you know, there would have been more things like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 30 says, what shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the, uh, to the law of righteousness? Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion the stumbling stone and the rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What's he saying? He's saying, so wait a minute. They were all puzzled. So wait a minute. The Gentiles who didn't have all of this stuff, the covenant and the promises and all that stuff, in fact, they were not even supposed to be a people. They have attained to righteousness. Now, how did that happen? Paul said, because they did it by faith. He said, now, wait a minute. Those who were given the law, pursuing righteousness through the law, didn't attain to righteousness through the law? He said, no. He said, because all of the law and the prophets was pointing to one thing, and it was Jesus. And he became their stumbling stone. And so what was happening in the law is the Israelites, they built up that through the, the doing of the law in their own mind, they decided that God owed them. God became a debtor to them. They're talking about justice. God, and, and, and that's where really many writers say you just can't get into this justice thing. And they were trying to say, listen, we've done this. God, you owe us because we obeyed the law. And God said, no, the law doesn't work that way. And then they said, wait a minute. We did the law. You owe us. The Gentiles don't even know the law. And you're telling me that they can have righteousness that comes through God? And Paul's saying, exactly. 
He said the whole law was pointing to Jesus Christ. And when the Gentiles who knew they owed a debt to God that they could not fill, they were separate from God, they were not a people of God, they were apart from God. When they heard about the cross and that the debt they owed to God had been accomplished through Jesus Christ, they just said, man, if that's what it takes, we're in. And by faith, they received the price paid for their debt. But he said, unfortunately, the Jews thought they had worked the law and that God owed them something, not that they were indebted and Jesus paid the debt. So Paul said, I'm just trying to tell you my heart's broken. My heart's broken. The very people, my people, who had all the promise, the covenant, everything that was there, they got themselves intertwined in the law. They thought that they knew how God should be and who God should be and who should be chosen and who not chosen. In other words, they began to see themselves as telling God what he should do instead of allowing him to be God. So that even when he showed up to fulfill what the law was all about, they missed it thinking we have the law and we've done the law. We deserve righteousness. And the people who've never done the law don't deserve it. We think justice should be served. And God said, no, my will through mercy will be served for the Gentile and for the Jew, whoever will believe. Amen? And so really, you know, it, it sounds confusing, but I believe Paul was just laying out a pattern that he had continued through that letter. That he'd come on some questions with the Jewish Christians there about the Gentile Christians and really, after he had experienced the love of God to such depth, after what he had known, what he had gone through, he was a doctor of the law. He knew all of that. And when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he told the Philippian church, he said, I've studied. I've, I've studied so hard to be the best man of God that I, I, I could be. I became a doctor of the law. I became a Pharisee among Pharisees. Whatever you could attain to, to know God, I strived. He said, even concerning the law. I mean, knowing this, knowing Paul said, really, concerning the law, nobody could be perfect. He said, concerning the law, I was as perfect as you could get. I was as mature in doing the law as you could get. He said, but I found something so much greater than, than the law and trying to strive for it myself. He said, I met Jesus. And all my self-earning seemed like just dumb compared to knowing Jesus. And he so embraced Jesus. And he so embraced the love of God that he wished every one of his countrymen would do the same. And he knew what he was talking about. They know what I know. They know the promises. They know the covenants. They know all that. Yet they continued to question God. So that's why I say I think we can draw from that and take away. You know, we can say, well, look at us. Because he'll go into that. So you thinking you're Gentiles, the Jews got nothing. He says, uh, So he's going to get a little bit more complicated. But for us, we want to look and say, we have promises from God. We have the blood of Jesus. We've entered in by faith. Told the Galatians, you've entered in by faith. Why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to the Old Testament and legalism? We've entered in by faith. You can't go back to the works of the law. You can't go back to the old traditions of the law. You've been saved by faith. Now it's by righteousness. But still, in our dispensation, we look and we say there's promises. There's covenant. There's a, a place. Jesus is coming again. 
There's a revival in store. We don't want to say, listen, but we are the ones. God has a plan to reach out to every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Now, we are the ones that receive the glory. They saw the Shekinah glory of God, but the glory of God rests upon us. The glory of God is in us. The Holy Spirit's taking us from glory to glory. He said the very things that they had in a new dispensation, we have. So let's not get over there and say, well, the Jews are out and we're in. No, we're carrying our torch, our dispensation. And it's not the law, but it's grace. We actually moved into a higher plane. So many people think we're under grace now. We're not accountable for anything. It doesn't matter. No, grace lifts you to a higher place because it's not the law of the flesh, but it's the law of the heart. That whatever goes on in our heart, if there's evil in our heart, if there's corruption in our heart, it doesn't matter if you do it outwardly. He said if it's in your heart, grace is not a lower way of living. It's a higher place of living. So God's calling us up. Say, don't get in spiritual pride thinking you got it all or this one's got it all. But God's working through his promises and through the grace of God in his church to bring about revival for every single person to come to know him. So that just as he was coming and they missed it, we don't find ourselves at his second coming not realizing the day or the time that we live in when he has warned us that we are right now living in the last of the last days and it's time for the church to arise and to shine with the glory of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation when darkness is covering the earth and deep darkness of the people, it's time for the church to arise and to shine that we are the light of the world. Come on. When you show up, darkness, man, there's stuff that starts to run. Come on. <laughs> Come on. We're looking. Many times to shine light in the light, but he says, don't just shine light in the light. That's a bunch of light. Shine light in the darkness. When we come together, we're a city on a hill. When we come together, it should shine everywhere. But he said, I've called you to go into places, into corners where there's darkness. And you'll never be overcome by the darkness if you're light. Because light always overcomes darkness. Dark does not, not overcome light. But if you don't know that, if people start going, wow, you're too light. Then we cover our bushel. Right? We're not trying to be offensive. But just understand that if you just live in the life that God gave you. We live in that standard the model of which is Jesus. See, I think he wants to get that to us. Well, who are, what standard are we living by? Jesus himself. Well, my Lord, nobody can live up to that standard. Well, sure you can. Well, no, nobody. No, not without help. Not without help. But we've not been left without help. We have the helper. Another one of the exact same kind as Jesus to do what? To help us be changed into a totally different image, not conformed to the image of the world, but changed into the very image of the one who created him. So there'll be two images. 
in the last days. It will be the image of Jesus through his body. And then there will be the image of sinful man. We look at each other, there will be a recognition. But what God has planned is for the church to arise. And when sinful man looks at the church, they say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see something in you that fills a longing in me. I want to move from this image of sinful man into the image of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify you. I thank you that you're working in us, the willing to do of your good pleasure. Every single day, that what you started in each one, in each one, I thank you that the healing, the healing that you have begun, you'll finish it. You'll finish it. Thank you, Lord. Not just part way. I thank you, Holy Spirit. You deal with their hearts. Not to just say, if I could just get relief. I'm okay, God. I'm okay with just some relief. Because you're not settling for just relief. If they do, you'll let them. But you're looking to finish that which you started. So we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for finishing that which you started. I thank you, Lord, that one, that one that was so excited about what you were doing. Now they're, they're, they're thinking about going a, a different direction, thinking it's not coming to pass. Renewing them. Renewing them. That which you've said. For you plan on finishing that which you've started. Thank you, Lord, for us. For us as a corporate body. That what you began years ago. Things that you've spoken over and over again. You plan on finishing Right here, that which you've started. Thank you for signs and wonders and miracles. Not only in this house, but from this house. I thank you, Lord, for that boldness. As we grow in faith, yeah, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Just remember that. The Lord says, just remember that. So often we want things on the outside. We want it to be flashy, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And these signs will follow them that believe. The word comes first, signs come next. So I thank you, Lord, that not only will there be signs, wonders, and healings in the house, but they'll go from the house with those who believe. Not to build something for themselves, but out of a great compassion for those who are hurting, those who are bound, those who are struggling. But they'll take that anointing. They'll see what you've called them to into a place. Seems dark. There's a lot of brokenness and suffering. But they carry the anointing. Not to build a great ministry for themselves, but to reach people with the love of God. Love of Jesus Christ. So I thank you, Lord, that you'll finish what you started. It'll reach into the alleys. It'll reach into the, the, the blocks in the cities. It'll start at one end. Seems so humble. Seems so uh, just one person being prayed for. But you'll show up, and it'll just start to move down the block. Till everyone on that block is rejoicing and declaring 
Look what the Lord has done. Started with humility of heart. A bold humility of someone who would believe to take the light to one person and carry it from house to house, even as by the Spirit of God. Help us to know. Help us to see how important this day is for every individual believer and for the church as a whole. That we wouldn't abandon things just in a moment, allow the enemy to steal. But we'd see and we would believe that what you have started, you plan on finishing. So we thank you for that. In every heart, every life, every body, every emotional situation, every brokenness, God, you're not just leaving a crack there so we remember we were broken. But you're healing it. You're going to finish it as if it had never been broken to begin with. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we don't get what we deserve. It's not all about justice. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we thank you as we leave this place. We thank you, angels of the covenant, guard around about each one. Keep them safe. We thank you that they're taking the anointing of the Spirit of God with them everywhere they go. Great testimony in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Just think, just, just praying that, speaking of that, just was reminded, got a text this morning, uh, last Sunday, or this afternoon, last uh, Sunday afternoon, we began ministering at the jail again last week. Last week, a prisoner got born again. This week, another prisoner got born again. Two other uh, uh, ones dedicated their life to Jesus. Amen. And so we're thankful for all those that went into the jail are going. Uh, Brother Brian here is leading that up. And... Um, Praise the Lord. Thanks for doing that. We're back in. People's lives are being changed, being blessed, saved. Amen. Glory to God. So, and God's, even when we don't know he's doing something, he's doing something. Probably you didn't even think about the jail today. God, when are you going to do something? He's like, well, I'm over at the jail right now uh, working on somebody's heart. Well, God, when are you going to do something? Well, I was at the jail today, and uh, they were just ministering, and I was working on somebody's heart. Well, I didn't see it. He said, I know, but I'll do it whether you see it or not. Or whether you tell me I can or not, I'll just go ahead and do it. Isn't that good? God's God and we're not. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we rejoice. People are getting saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole and prospered. Amen. Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.